everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for an outstanding interview with Sharon Sala. We know you'll enjoy the fun as we discover the inside story of this prolific and popular author. Get ready for another episode full of learning, laughter, and new ideas for readers and writers. Our guest today writes across many genres and will be a great treat for all of us. A special announcement, in addition to being able to post your responses online at writingworkswonders.com, you also now have the opportunity, if you're a listener or participant in our podcast, you may post works that you have published. Share your name, the title of your work, and where we may find your work. Go to writingworkswonders.com and click Community Pubs, short for Community Publications. I'm Dr. Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. <laughs> I knew I'd get tired of hearing Kathy say that. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. And I have a wonderful co-host, too. She's a master of the universe. Thank you. My great pleasure to introduce our listeners to our guest, Sharon Sala. Sharon Sala is a native of Oklahoma and still lives within two-hour drive of where she was born. She was first published in 1991 and is a New York Times USA Today bestselling author with, get ready for it, 132 plus books published in seven different genres, including romantic, suspense, mystery, young adult, Western, fiction, women's fiction, and nonfiction. We can go on and on with all the awards Sharon has accrued across her prolific career. You might know Sharon Sala for her inspirational books, novels, or other series, as over 49 of them are available on NLS Bard. Here are a few book and series titles. The Jigsaw File series, the Blessings Georgia series, the 36-hour series, A Rainbow Above Us, and The Light Within. Just a few titles. With two great-grandmothers, of Native American descent, one belonging to a Cherokee tribe and the other a member of the Cree tribe, she has followed the path of a storyteller and considers it her gift from spirit. Her website is SharonSalaAuthor.com. We are pleased to present on the show Sharon Sala. Over to you, Cheryl. Thank you. Hi, Sharon. Welcome. We're all so glad you're here with us. Cheryl. Hi, Kathy. Hello, everybody. This is a wonderful day for me talking about oh. writing as a gift. So my first question is, when did you start calling yourself a writer? Was it when you published a book before? Tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. I had a job I hated. And to preface that, I will tell you, I've always been a daydreamer. I thought from as far back as I can remember that everybody could plan what they wanted to dream at night and then go to bed and dream it because I can. And I did when I was little constantly. And so I woke up with whole stories in my head and I still see my stories like movies before I write them. And when I write, I'm looking at my laptop, but I'm not seeing the words 
I'm in my head seeing the visual. So that's how my head works. So I had this job I hated, checking groceries at a grocery store. And I came home one night really late and my teenage children and my husband were sitting on the sofa. It was 10 minutes after 10 when I rolled in out on the farm. I go in and I go, hi, everybody. And they go, mom, what's for supper? And it just went all over me. It was like the wrong thing to say at the wrong time of night. And I I had, don't like bologna sandwiches and they know it. So I slapped bologna and bread on the counter and told them supper was ready. And I literally went straight to the closet and got out a typewriter, rolled a piece of paper in it and sat down and started typing this story that had been in my head forever. I still don't know what made me do it. I just think it was spirit. All of my voice is telling me now's the day, sister, do it now or, you know, <laughs> forever hold your peace. But I, it was a job I hated that started it. And I wrote that book, took me about a year and I wrote one more And I put both of them under the bed because, well, to use one of my son's favorite phrases, they sucked. They were really, really bad. (laughs) And I knew it, but I didn't know how to fix what I could see in my head. I didn't know how to put on paper what I could see in my head. So I kind of let that dream die and then had an occasion a couple of years later to join a little local writers group. And that just turned everything on for me again. And I began writing and then I found Romance Writers of America because I wanted to write first what I love to read. And that was stories that ended happy ever after. And that was romance at the time. So that's what I started writing. I didn't send any books out for about four years. And then finally one day I thought, I think I know what I'm doing. I think I figured out how to put on paper what I I'm seeing in my head and I, the first place I sent it, bought it. That was kind of a fluke. It took me eight years to get there. I dithered myself through life before I, I did something about it. And it was a dream come true. And I never looked back. And you're very good at what you do. Thank you. You have just filled our life with so much joy. And speaking of your books, I want to touch on your nonfiction books. I have them on Kindle and then I use voiceover to listen to them. I like the voice of Nikki on my iPhone and iPad. So she reads them to me. I've been using them past week to help me fall asleep. They're just relaxing. And then I've listened to some during the day. Those are the ones that are nonfiction. My spirit book. Mm -hmm. When spirit speaks, the light within us and steering from the back seat are nonfiction. Tell us a little about the how did they come about? How how would you tell readers to use these books? (laughs) Originally, they were Facebook posts and people kept urging me to put them together in a book so that they would have them. They're using them like inspirational reading at night. They were using them just to pull themselves out of the daily crap that goes on, you know, in the world and just read something positive. And I don't even know how to tell you where it comes from. I accept that 
I'm a messenger. That's what I call myself. I'm not a big psychic. I'm not a healer. I'm not any of that. But I think that writing is part of my path in this world. I'm spiritual. I believe in a higher power. I'm not going to name it because there are too many people who have another name for what I think is all the (laughs) same thing. It's just the universe, the great I am. We're not here by accident. I have these thoughts that just pop into my head and they will not go away until I write them down. They're messages. And sometimes they will bug me literally. And I will say aloud to the spirits, I don't want to write this. It's going to cause a firestorm. I'm not in the mood to debate. I don't debate anything. I just pass on the messages and let it be. And sometimes dread writing what I'm hearing and they have become accepted. So I assume that I'm on the right path because I've gotten too much feedback from people who tell me everything I write in one way or another has helped them through something. Even if it's my fiction stories, I don't know how many letters I get from people who tell me, you helped me pass the hours when my mother was dying of cancer. I read stories aloud to her while she was in the hospital. I've cared for, I've read aloud to my mother after she went blind. I can't even begin to tell you. I even had one lady who was a bookseller who told me years ago, this many years ago, early nineties, a book I wrote was helping her figure out how to die. This is going to make me cry. (laughs) Sorry, but I cry at Pepsi commercials. So this is, (laughs) you have to understand I'm a very, you know, openly emotional person, but she had a brain tumor and Mm. she was scared to death and she was, didn't even know how to express the fears that were within her. And I had a book come out called Annie and the Outlaw. Oh, it was years ago, maybe 1993. I remember that book. I read that book. (laughs) In the book, the heroine (laughs) had a brain tumor. And I won't even get into the storyline, but the bottom line was there was a line in the book that spoke to her. And it was something about, I just had to learn to let go. It was like climbing a tree. If I wanted to get down, all I had to do was let go something to that effect. And she came hunting me in a mass book signing in Nashville, Tennessee, many, many years ago. And I see her coming and she's bald, chemo, her hair's gone. And I knew her and I, she's holding this book and she said, I want to talk to you. And I thought, I'm in so much trouble because <laughs> she doesn't like it. It was, a, it was a, a stretch to do that back in those days. And instead, I got the biggest hug I've ever had in my life and a big thank you. From that moment on, I just know that I'm on the right path. And that's all I can say. I, I thank my, my native ancestors, my great, both great grandmothers. My daddy was a wonderful storyteller. I'm going to always thank the old ones too. I believe in Christian, but I also have the old spirits, my Indian ancestors, always, always guiding my path and keeping me on the straight and narrow. (laughs) That's it. Believing in a power greater than ourselves. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you for sharing that, Sharon. Wow. What a difficult blend of beliefs to explain, but you did it so eloquently. Thank you for doing that. We appreciate that. Thank you. As writers, one of the things that we try to cultivate on Writing Works Wonders is creativity. And you have tremendous creativity, my friend, obviously, (laughs) with so many books across so many genres. But a part that we don't hear too much about is 
what do authors do in their downtime? Or maybe I heard somebody talk about recreation as recreation time, you know, that we recreate, refresh ourselves. Mm-hmm. What is it that you enjoy doing when you're not writing? And do you see a connection between that recreation feeding your creativity in any ways? Could you talk about that for us? You just used a key word. You said feeding my creativity. I bake. I love ah. to cook. I love to cook for family. I am creating with my hands when I bake, just like I create when I type. My hands are the key to my writing. I don't know what I'm going to write until my fingers touch the keyboard. And then when I do, it's like flipping a switch and everything just comes out. And it's the same way with baking. I feel such a joy making things and I'm diabetic now and I don't eat what I bake anymore, but my daughter is a teacher So I baked for the teacher's lounge once a week (laughs) at her school. And, oh, they they know when the end of the week's coming, Kathy's mama's sending something good. And it just gives me so much joy to share that. And so I'm still creating and I'm still sharing. It's just in a different way. Absolutely. Thank you. What a great illustration. Another thought that we had was about you writing across so many different genres. How do you relate to those different genres? And perhaps your research process is different or the same based on genres. You know, for a Western, there's background. We know that you had experience there, but also the the locale, etc. For crime mystery, suspense, you must be doing research on these and background information. Is it the same or different? The process is the same in research. I always research. I write across genres because I'm a storyteller, not a romance writer, not a fiction writer, not a nonfiction writer. I tell stories. When a story comes to me, if it doesn't fit into one box in the publishing industry, then I make another box. And I put it where it needs to go because I have the stories in me and I want them told. I'm going to have, I have so many stories in me that I'll die with them. I'll never get them all told. As for the research, of course, living to this ripe old age, I've learned a lot of life history and I grew up on a farm and I know everything there is to know about rural life. And I know a lot of things I'm an avid reader, so I've picked up knowledge over the years, too. But when I believe geography is a valid character in every story, enriches every story, not to just follow along with the characters, but to see the environment that shapes them and the environment that they contend with. Geography has always been a a character in all of my books, weather and geography. They add to the drama and the intent of a storyline along with the characters. So research is huge. Thank you. And how do you go about that research when you're trying to get new information about weather or geography? Well, God bless Google. (laughs) (laughs) You can get online through libraries before the internet. I was in libraries all the time. Uh, My mother was a librarian by trade after she quit teaching. And I had access to info. And if I didn't 
know where to find it, I found someone who did know. I went straight to the source or straight to the books to tell me. I hate to have somebody question the validity of XYZ. My writer friends and I have funny little stories we share with each other that we've seen in books. One time we were at a writer's meeting and somebody said, did you read so-and-so's book? They had a horse lapping up water like a dog. And we all had a big <laughs> laugh. I mean, it's little details like that. I know where to go for answers. Within the writing community, there are so many different people who have become writers who were who had another life before and we can go to our nurse friend and we can go to our doctor friend and we can go to our friend who was a colonel in the air force and we I can go to my cousin who was in the FBI it's endless we have a vast network of people that we can contact outside of google i just keep my contacts close to my close to my heart and and know that i'm going to be right that's invaluable for our writers. And we also hear that our readers who listen to our calls enjoy hearing that about how these books are built and the background work that their authors do. So thank you for sharing that with us, Sharon. Very Certainly. helpful. Certainly. Yes. Over to you, Cheryl. Okay, just two quick questions before we open it up for Q&A. You also have written under Dinah McCall. What made you choose a pseudonym? Was there a specific reason you did that? I did it kicking and screaming. One of the publishers I had is the reason that happened. I was writing romantic suspense for them for quite a while. And I gave them this uh, synopsis for a story and it was a time travel. And oh my God, they loved the book, but oh no, I couldn't release it under the Sharon Salem name because it was different. (sighs) And they're the ones who insisted on a pen name. And I was so irked because I'd worked so hard with the Sharon Sailor name and they were going to give the new girl, and that was still me, but it was the, <laughs> the new girl, the big shot chance to be lead title writer. And I was so irked with them. <laughs> but that's how it came about. And choosing the name after I finally came to p- made peace with it, was okay because Dinah was my sister Diane's nickname. Mother yelled out the back door, Sharon, Diane, Dinah. And we answered to both names our whole lives because she'd forget who she was hollering at. My sister Diane became pseudonym and she died before I became published. The joke was she beat me to the New York Times bestseller list. (laughs) (laughs) that was my sister's nickname Dinah and McCall that was pure business you remember when books were shelved alphabetically on bookstores Mm -hmm. everywhere Elm is in the middle of the shelf at eye level very smart interesting and then real quick you are very active on Facebook you're sharing like you said what is there and appreciating that (laughs) Well, I have a when I read one... you were back in the closet the other day, I thought, oh my gosh, maybe she's going to have to talk to us in the closet. You should never live in Oklahoma without a storm shelter. My walk-in closet in my bedroom is my storm shelter. And everybody knows that that's, you know, followed me for years is I'm in a closet somewhere. And when it gets stormy, I, you know, well, I'm back in the closet because 
I have no, I have no seller. <laughs> we know each other. I have been on Facebook for since 2009 and I have a huge following of dear Facebook friends. Literally, I don't mm-hmm. never met a 99% of them, but I know when they're sick and I know when their husbands pass and when their wives pass and I know when their children die and we all grieve through COVID and losing family. And I know who they are and I think they know who I am. So they're my family. They're my family too. That's the feeling I got. Thank you. Chanel, can you do your thing? Tell people how to do their thing. First up, we have Deanna Noriega. I am so pleased to meet you and welcome you to our family to talk books. I'm honored to be here and it's a pleasure to meet you. Hi, I'm I'm Fran. Hi, Sharon. It's, Hi, Fran. It's, it is such an honor to meet you. I've read all of your Georgia Blessing books. Okay. I want to know, are there more coming and how soon? How long <laughs> do I have to wait? Well, if you've just read The Best of Me, that's the last one. Because, oh, I don't think I have that one. Well, that just came out at the end of April. It's uh, oh. book number 13. It's actually book 14 if you count the novella that introduced the whole series, you know, the one at the very first. And it's always free everywhere books are sold. It's just a little short novella that's an intro story. But there are 13 full-length novels in the Blessings Georgia series and like I said the best of me is the last one and it will be the last Uh, I've already turned in two more books four source books since that since I wrote that book so once due out in November and it's a single title standalone and then I have begun a new series for source books that will start sometime in 2023 that will be the start of another series. All right, Diana. Hello. Hi, Um, Diana. It's so, I'm thrilled to meet you, honored to meet you. I'm a fellow Oklahoman. (laughs) Oh, where Um, from? T-Town, Tulsa. Oh, yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes. And I know thoroughly what you mean about the storm cellars, because now that I live here, I've lived here four years, I don't have a storm cellar anywhere around me where I was for 40 some years of my life in Enid. Yes, uh, I had storm cellars. Right, either both neighbors had storm cellars, so I'm like, oh my gosh. Yep, it's just, a, it's an it's, experience, isn't it? It huh? definitely is. It's it's different. I'm I'm so thrilled that you're you're a, a fellow Oklahoman, and I did not know about you before, but I definitely plan on reading some of your books. And I had a question: Are any of your books placed in Oklahoma? I know that I've mentioned it several times, and I think I think my very first book was set in Oklahoma. It was called Sarah's Angel, and it was a little book I wrote for a line called Kiz, Kismet, and it was. <laughs> Owned by the American Hosiery Corporation. <laughs> and it was, they were only sold. I'm not kidding you. I've been, I've run the gamut here. They were only sold through a mail order to their hosiery mailing list. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is so interesting. Oh I made goodness. more, I made more money at that company than I did for anybody for years and years. And then one day we're on our way to a national writers convention in Missouri about three years later. And we get there and find out that one of the big publishing houses bought out the mailing list. So they'd quit sending out their big competition 
competition. The mail order that this little company was doing was competition to this uh-huh. other mail order company, and they bought uh-huh. them out. Fortunately, I had taken my editor's advice, and she had told me years and years ago, and I'm going to tell this to every writer listening, never put all your eggs in one basket. Don't de- don't count on one publisher loving you forever. Don't mm-hmm. count on everything they tell you. They're good people. They mean well. But there's always a turnover within the administration that changes everybody's plans. And so never assume you're in a good place. <laughs> so I had already signed with another, uh, with Harper Collins when that happened. Oh my goodness. Too. So I, I was saved all because of that advice. Oh my goodness. Wow. What a story. Yeah. Well, I will definitely find some of your books and start scarfing them up. Start reading them. So thank you. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Diana. Next up, we have Carol Mackey. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to meet you and I love your enthusiasm. Thank you. I happen to write poetry and dabble in a couple of other things. But my question always is, what's your writing process? How do you have specific, I'm going to write today for X time or how, and you publish a lot. So you darn well better be (laughs) up there typing away or writing. And also, do you, do you ever do uh, write by hand? Or what? I mean, we're all oh, visually gosh. impaired or blind or, or whatever, but I just would love to hear what your process sure. is. Sure. In the beginning, <laughs> if that, I'm not quoting the Bible, but in the beginning, <laughs> I wrote everything on yellow legal pads by hand, everything, then typed them on a typewriter with carbon paper in between. That's how long ago it's been. I was writing in the early 80s. So, yes, I wrote by hand, wrote the first two books I published by hand. And I kept saying, if I ever get sell a book, I'm going to buy a computer. And so I did. And that was a gift. That was a blessing for me. I don't have a set writing time. I never could because I started out as a farmer's wife and there was were things to be done before I could take the time out for me. And there, I always had the chores to do or the kids to get off to school or had a job. You know, I was writing when I could, but I was the one who stayed up late at night after everybody went to bed. I was the one who got up early, early in the morning before I had to get everybody off to work and school. I was the one who sometimes stayed home and missed family reunions because I was in the middle of a story. I sacrificed a little bit of me for the love of writing. And it wasn't a sacrifice. It was a blessing. It was what centered me. It took away all of the trouble of every day because I could get lost in another world. So that's that was the process. I have turned into something of a night owl. I'm up by mid-morning, but I work until 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning because that's when the phone quits ringing, and that's when the voices are the loudest, and that's when my creativity is at peace, and I can get lost in the story. I had every little teenage girl in the world's probably written a poem or two, and I did, and I kept one. I found it about six years ago when I was moving, and I just sat down and cried. It wasn't any good at all, but it was such a 
it was such a sign of where I was going and I didn't even know it at the time because I did not publish my first book until 1991 and I'm going to be 79 in July. So I got a late start at this. Next is Kathy. I got in line so I could ask another question. (laughs) So that brings up a really good point, Sharon. You've lived through what I have and many of the folks on on the call have is this change in publication world and where Mm -hmm. originally they would publish our books, a big publishing house would publish our books and there'd be 3,000 sitting in a warehouse or 10,000 until they all sold that you couldn't do anything else with the book. And then a second edition might come out. I I published in academia. That's the way it worked. But once we got into print on demand, it really changed the face of things and how we could do edits, etc. What do you think of the changes that you've experienced over time in the in the publishing world? And then I have another question for you, too. Okay, the first part. I was on the National Board of Directors of Romance Writers of America when ebooks hit. And we were going through a huge turmoil within that organization of writers wanting to be separate. They wanted their own separate group. And then they were a separate group and they wanted into the whole without having sold a book. They wanted to be called a published author just because they had uploaded a book online. And they were a published author, but they had to qualify the RWA. They had to have sold a certain number of books to fall into this professional category. But I'm just telling you the story. Mm -hmm. It caused a huge flux in everything. Traditional publishing didn't know what to do with themselves when eBooks hit and everybody was uploading it for free. Readers were like, oh my God, we can get free books. We don't need to buy anything anymore. And then they were complaining nonstop about the poor editing, the poor grammar, the Mm -hmm. unstructured work. You know, it was people wanting to be part of it, but not knowing what they needed to know to put out a, a decent book. And so that big thing happened and went on and on for a while. And the Traditional publishers began scrambling and some of them figured it out and didn't lose traction. And some of them dragged into it too late to really make a difference. Right now, I see it almost leveling out. At first, ebooks were everything and people were giving away and throwing away their paperbacks. They didn't want them in their house. They were too much trouble. They didn't want to travel with them. They were reading on their phones and I'm just dying laughing because I'm like, I don't even like to talk on my phone. I'm not reading a book (laughs) on a phone. I just don't. I mean, they're little bitty pages. And I, I think back to when televisions were so tiny and here we are the bigger the tv screen the better off we think we are and we're reading a book on a phone and i just thought that was the funniest dichotomy (laughs) of technology possible ebooks are what they are and we can't control we can't control much about it because we've put them up the publishers have it but then if we upload and self-pub Amazon gives people the right to read it and return it for free. So we've given away a book without wanting to. It's all a mess. And I hope someday, I don't think it'll happen in my lifetime, but I hope someday there becomes a a more fair transparency between people reading, accepting the fact that they 
should pay for their entertainment. They pay $5 for a Starbucks, but they resent paying anything for a book because they can get some for free. And the free book business was a mess. So that's my answer to that. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to hear people that have gone through the process. And we know that for independent publishing, like you do some of that and some of our folks do, being able to access people that support you in that and having your editors and line edits and people that do your layout well, et cetera, is really important to put out a quality product. Yes. But there's a lot to fill in the gaps if you don't have a formal publisher. And that's part of the work of independent publishing. And And then unfortunately, Mm -hmm. yes, that's a whole nother part, the marketing. But unfortunately, the beginning part of the time that you're talking about, yes, things were just thrown up there and people were not realizing they still needed to go through the process. Mm -hmm. So another question I have that we like to really get a response from our visitors is what suggestions do you have for our authors who are on the call to help nurture and grow their craft of writing? I know this held true for me back when I started and I fully believe it's still an invaluable first step. And that is to join a competent writers group. You will have access to conferences, to a foot in the door to an editor, a foot in the door to publishing houses. Uh, you'll, you can find wonderful critique partners who can help you through the process of learning how to plot and what the important stuff of being able to take criticism without having it destroy you. You have to have alligator tough hide in this business (laughs) and take nothing personally because everything is subjective. 15 people may love something and the one person who hates it is the one I'm going to remember because it hurt my feelings. So I don't read reviews because of that. The other thing is write the book for yourself first and not what you think is going to sell. Because by the time you finish the book, that fad is going to have moved beyond to something else. And I was told, Early on, and I still hold this true, if you want to write, first write what you know. Don't jump into a genre that that you've never read just because it's popular right now. Write in a genre that you love to read because you will have a reference point already in your mind about how they work and how they're set up. I never took any writing lessons and I didn't have a critique group. I was just a farm woman out on the farm living my little dream until I joined a little local writers group. And that just opened up my life to all of the possibilities. And 31 years later and 135 books later, that's because I took a chance. I took that leap of faith in me and I didn't let anyone else's opinion of me change what I believed of myself. Thank you so much. I, we can hear that coming from your heart, Sharon. We really appreciate Always. that. Always. Kim, you may unmute. Hi. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for being here. Yay. Thank you for pointing out that we, we need to buy books. We need to pay people for their work. And I just, I feel so honored that some of mine have 
you know, been included in those programs. And like I said, at, when we were visiting earlier, before all this started, when my books were on tape for a long time, way back in the early, early 90s with the Oklahoma Library Association for Sight Impaired. And I was just over the moon about that. I thought that was the most amazing, wonderful thing. And I don't care. Read it. If you like to read on a phone, that's amazing. If you use your iPad, if you use a Kindle, wonderful. If you like to paperback, you want to hold them, you know, if somebody's a reader like that, wonderful. It's just the process of reading that is such a joy and a gift. And maybe because my mother was a school teacher and she taught me to read when I was four years old <laughs> um, and I went to school with her when I was five in first grade, she taught a one room schoolhouse out on a prairie, literally in, in the middle of a field in 1947 and because some teacher got pregnant and they weren't allowed to still teach if they were pregnant and my mother was a school teacher and she'd taken off because of raising us and they hired her for the last semester of that term and I went to her in that one room schoolhouse and learned to read and that has been the biggest gift I've ever been given in my life. It's just education and the ability to go somewhere in my head that I knew I'd never be able to travel in life. Thank you so much for your graciousness, for answering everyone's questions, for being here with us. We really, really appreciate you so much, Sharon. Before I sign off with you and give it back to Kathy, everybody, there is a prompt for next week write your memoir in 75 words or less please be sure to visit sharon's website for more details about all her books sharonsalaauthor.com they are available through many different distribution outlets including amazon your local library such as overdrive and on nls bard thank you to sharon and everyone who participated in in our show for helping us make this a fabulous, amazing episode. Sharon, you've provided tremendous insight for our participants today, and it's been great fun for all of us. Thank you. Thank you. And for our listeners, don't miss next week. You heard it with the prompt. Next week is about memoir writing, and our guest author is our very own Jane Tolino. She will be talking about her book, Blind Sight, which is a memoir, and we will be also talking about how to start your own memoir and strategies that can be used. And then May 20th will be the second part of our The Art of the Short Story Interactive Workshop. Be sure to visit writingworkswonders.com for these show notes, resources, and previous episodes. Above all else, we want you to be encouraged, inspired, and enjoy the wonders of writing. We look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. 
notes and you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.